Okay, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Now, this is a difficult chapter. Yes, because a lot of people uh, have trouble, uh, mis they misinterpret what God is saying in Ephesians chapter 5. It can get sticky. But um, before we go into this, I don't want to get off on, a, uh, on any rabbit trails or anything like that. Let's just read the scripture for what it says. And then everyone can apply that to their life, okay? I don't know everything about marriage, divorce. I don't know everything. How, anybody in here that knows everything? So when we find something we don't know, we just got to depend on the word. But I also have a New Living Translation, and I have the message. Now, I believe that the scholars that that put this Bible together in 1996 uh, did it so that it would be a clearer reading of the gospel than the King James. The King James used the language of the day. I mean, a lot of people don't realize that the King James, the thouest and youth and meeth and stuff like that, that was the, that was the language of the day, yeah. okay? Remember that. The reason that, that the King James was commissioned was because King James wanted all the manuscripts and things that were available at that time, he wanted them all put together in something that the people could receive in, in their native, in their language, okay? In the meantime, over the years, uh, we all trust in the King James, and, uh, uh, but then also... I'll admit that I don't know everything, and there's times where I need help understanding exactly what Paul's saying. Sometimes I get a little bit confused. Now, Jeremy made a good point the other day that um, if you're teaching, the King James is great for teaching because the alliteration and the poetry and everything else, uh, the New Living will kind of translate itself because there's a lot of things put in there that will help us to understand. Now, Eugene Peterson wrote the message back in the 90s also. He was a scholar. He is a scholar. And uh, it is in today's language more than probably any other uh, Bible version around. I endorse this. Some people have problems with it because it takes some liberty with some things. But when it comes to studying the Word of God, I don't believe that any of these were written with bad intentions. I believe that they're contributing to our knowledge of the Son of God. And I'll be the, the first one to tell you that if I come across something in the King James that I don't understand, I'll go to another version, New American, uh, NIV. Um, there's some omissions in the NIV and things like that, but I don't think they were intentional. Yes, Lee. Okay. And so each verse in there may only have one or two uh, versions, but it may have six, seven, or eight versions. So you get a lot of help if you yeah. get a hold of one of these. I've got one I've used a lot in my study. Yeah. Right. New Testament in 26 Okay. Also the Amplified Bible. Anybody ever read the Amplified Bible? These are all useful. I mean, uh, you know. If they help you understand the important thing, it's like who, who's preaching. A lot of people say, well, who's preaching? Who's preaching? The important thing is not the preaching. The important thing is the message that is, that is conveyed to the people under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. 
okay? And I believe when I read the Word, sometimes the King James, maybe I'm just too thick to understand what it's saying. So I will go to another translation to try and help me. But I believe that every translation contributes to what God wants us to know, okay? I want to make that statement before we go any farther. The Ephesians church, a little review, the Ephesians church was at the crossroads on the major trade routes. Uh, that is where the statue to uh, Diana and Artemis and all of them were there. So it was a crossroads with many different doctrines. Another thing that's very important to remember when you study Paul's epistles, they were, written, they were intended to be sent to relatively new churches. Okay? The letter to Ephesus was written about 63 A.D. So, you know, that was only like 30 years after, after the Lord ascended. So you got to remember that a lot of this, uh, and I shared in the past couple of weeks, they didn't know how to behave. It's just like nowadays when somebody gets saved, we have people come through the soup kitchen and Dan works with people and different ones of you. They have to be taught how to behave. And we assume that the, the people that Paul were writing to got all this stuff, that they understood it. But that's why Paul was very stern in some of his teachings, especially with the Corinthian church. And uh, uh, the letter to Ephesus was not a correctional letter. He didn't send it out to correct people. He sent it out to edify people. The first three chapters deal with what he's done for us, who he is. This, the last three chapters deal with our response and how we should respond to what Paul wants the church to know. So always remember that we have the luxury of history on our side because we can look back over 2,000 years of church history and we can see how things worked out or didn't work out or how things uh, came along. The people that Paul's writing to here, they were pretty much novices at this stuff. It's like when Paulus goes to Pakistan and the Taliban guy comes, you know, that's why they say, you know, you got to preach the gospel Amen. because the gospel is what converts people. OK. Amen. All right. So remember that, uh, that the Ephesians church was a very important church. And this letter was not intended solo, uh, solamente, that's Spanish, not intended only for the Ephesians church, but to be spread among all the churches that were around there because it's a very important letter. It teaches about the love of God. Let's go to verse 1. This is how we are to respond um, to what God has done for us. It says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Okay? And walk in love as Christ himself has also loved us and has given himself for us an offering when he hung on the cross of Calvary, he became the offering. The offering for what? The offering for our sin. He was a perfect sacrifice, the perfect offering. He put himself in the position of sacrifice. And because of that, it said it was a sweet-smelling savor or a wonderful aroma in God's nostrils. Jesus said, I don't do anything that the Father doesn't tell me to do. So we got to remember that he had a will also. And he willfully, purposely went to the cross. Amen. Don't ever believe that he didn't have the willpower to resist it. That's right. Yeah. Amen. 
He said in the scripture, he said, I lay down my life. No man takes it from me. Amen. Just think of the gravity of that for a minute. He said, I'm laying it down. I'm becoming the sacrificial lamb. You know what they had to go through in the Old Testament sometimes for the sacrifices and things? It was a bloody mess. And there were so many requirements and so many ways that you had to do things. And the lamb could not be uh, have one blemish on it. And I mean, there was just so many things involved. But he brought he said, I came to fulfill the scriptures, not to do away with them, to fulfill the law. What he did on the cross was take all that sacrificial stuff that they had to do. See, man always is trying to appease God. They try to uh, appease all the pagan sacrifices, Elijah on Mount Carmel and things like that. It's, it's built into man to make God happy. But you got to make the right God happy and you got to worship the right God. And so he brought all those sacrifices, all those bulls and everything that was killed. And he brought it into one place, one place. And that one place was Calvary. He brought it all together. And so in that one act of the cross where he voluntarily laid his life down, he he said, there's no more any need to do all this stuff because I'm the perfect sacrifice. Amen. Scripture says that all the blood that was spilled could never take away the sin. That's why it's called the new covenant. He said, this is the new covenant written in my blood. How many of you ever studied what the priest had to do with the sacrifice? He had to do this, he had to do that, and it was like a baseball player giving signs and stuff. They had to, you know, giving certain signals and things. It was all so complicated. And you know, that was, that was religion. And we see the same thing today in modern times. We see religion getting real complicated again. But it all goes back to that one perfect sacrifice. And that's what he did on Calvary. He brought everything together. And as we learned in Ephesians chapter three, he, he brought the Jew and Gentile together, which which made us into what? One new man. One new man. He tore the veil, broke, broke down the walls, it says, and he brought everyone together. So all them sacrifices through all the years still could not do what the one act That's right. of Jesus Christ did. That's why he's a savior. Amen. That's why we believe in him. Amen. So, you know, I'm not supposed to be preaching. I'm supposed to be teaching. But when you come to the Lord, there's an aroma that goes up into God's nostrils. That's what it says. It's a sweet smelling thing. His sacrifice on the cross, it made us sweet. Because sin is bitter, but the love of God is sweet. Amen. Verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, I can't say that word good, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Now you say, well, why would he have to address this? Remember again, the church is new. These are new Christians. They got to learn how to behave. And everybody that lived in the Middle East at that time they had so many different gods and so much pagan worship, and this was going on. Uh, we need, it takes different forms in our society or in the time we live in. 
Which brings me to a question. I'm going to give you some homework later on, but uh, uh, how does the word adapt to culture and how does culture adapt to the word? I'll let you think about that one for a minute. But he had to tell them, look, boys, fornication is not right. Somebody had to state that. Remember in the Corinthian church, the problems they had in the Corinthian church. So Paul had to speak to these baby Christians and tell them, this is, not, this is what you don't do. And you're not supposed to be covetous. And you're not supposed to be unclean. Verse 4 says, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient or suitable, but rather giving of thanks. Amen. One thing I like about Paulus is he, he uh, will speak about what the Lord has done for him, and he thanks God. Amen. We all, the God has done great things for us. And we need to give thanks instead of giving. Well, some Christians give God a hard time. But we need to be giving him thanks. Yes, we do. For this we know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Pretty rough stuff there, isn't it? But what's the solution? Well, it started it in verse 1 where he said, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. So in other words, he's approaching them and teaching them as children, as, as, as new people. They turned over. How many of you remember the day you got saved and radically got changed? Changed. Well, he could have said the same thing to us. Okay, no fornication, no uncleanness, no covetousness. Goes on in churches today. Sin is sin. The devil's the devil. His plan is his plan. That's why everything is focused in on the cross again and what he did for us. And our response should be, we're no longer going to be fornicators or unclean or covet one another's stuff or, well, whoremongers, unclean people, covetous, idolaters. What's idolatry? Anybody know the definition of idolatry? Exactly. Anything that you exalt between you and God. Amen. He wants to be Lord of all. Amen. Idolatry. A lot of people look at idolatry as we go out in the yard here and, and build a statue or something out of wood and bow down and worship it. Idolatry is much more subtle sometimes. Most people don't go around uh, erecting statues. You know, this is the God that we worship. But their lifestyle shows what God they worship. But it's a very subtle thing sometimes. Anything between us and God. And that gets down to the corporate and the personal. Anything that I exalt above God's conduct. See, again, I keep on using this. Jesus Christ was the bridge between holy God and fallen man. So anything that interferes with that and we exalt is idolatry. He said, I'll have no idols. I'll have no other gods before me, okay? There's many things in today's world that we can use as uh, yeah. idolatrous things. And it says, in other words, there's a break in the connection, and so we lose our inheritance in the kingdom. In other words, the flow. How many of you know there's a flow of the Spirit? I walked in last night when Scott was preaching, and there was just a... Uh, there was a flow. Yeah. 
There was a flow in the preaching. There was a flow in the music. And it was just, you could just tell. And then I think we kind of entered into it here tonight in Bible study. And the first part is a flow to thing. And you know what? That comes from people being hungry for God and hungry for the Word. We could be doing anything tonight. But I'll tell you, when you get in that flow of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the good feeling of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing like it. There's just nothing like it. So we need to keep that bridge open between us and God and not be putting idols in there. Okay? Worry can be an idol. Lack of faith can be an idol. There's so many things that, that can become idolatry if we don't tear down those altars. You know, in the Old Testament, how many of you remember the epitaph for all the kings when they died? Anybody tell me? What was the final call? What, what was written about their, their reign? They either worshiped God or they didn't. God really likes it when we worship him and not idols yeah. and not false gods. Because all those kings, he would say, but he failed to t tear down the groves or the high places or the Ashtaroth poles or things. These are I all idols. Yeah. And they were rampant in the Old Testament, and they still existed because Diana had her statue set up in, in Ephesus. It was a place where religions and false doctrine all came together. So, let's go on. What's that? We still have them today. They're more subtle today. Is it, I'm, what I meant by subtle is... And all these different things. Yeah. They got statues. And, yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, really? Yeah, I, heard I didn't know that. Yeah. In New York? Yes, New York and Washington, D.C. They put an arch up of some kind. Maybe uh, he can, Jerry, Jeremy can find it. Okay. That is to bail. Yeah. And it's flagrant, right? I mean, it's just right out front. And it, I'm not sure. Yeah. Point blank. I mean, I'm just not sure right that. Yeah. I just wow. know that they built it. covered up. Okay, well, there you go. That's some blatant idolatry there. Yes. They usually like to keep quiet. <laughs> they're having occult groups having to do with witches and Satanism and everything else. And they're meeting reasonably often in the convention center at Sharonville, just up the road. Oh, really? No. I didn't know that. Well, part of the problem there, Lee, is that, you know, by some of the holidays we celebrate and stuff, and I don't want to get too far into this, we sanitize that stuff. See, we sanitize it. We know it's wrong, but we sanitize it and make it presentable to culture. And so what is it, Jeremy? It's the arch of Baal. Just a coincidence that the Arch of Bell has been erected in Washington, D.C. on the exact same week as Brett Kavanaugh and Christine Blasey Ford are testifying before Congress. Oh, really? Wow. Wow. I didn't know that. Wow. Uh, this is a symbol of Bell, and the, it's called the Pelagamy Arch. Did it say who erected it? Uh, the Democrats. 
Well, that was a city. Yeah. Wasn't that a city in ancient Greek, Palm, Palmyra or Palmyra? Well, look that up too if you get a chance and see what, because I think that was a Greek city or something like that. Maybe. Uh, Say it was in New York City too, or is it just talking about Washington? I just saw the Washington Times Square in Washington, D.C. Okay. Well, somebody find what Palmyra, I think it was an ancient city. Yes, Linda. Um, there is a store in Old Milford called Enchanted Moments. Oh, yeah. And on the outside, it looks like a cute little gift shop. And my granddaughter and I went in there, and the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. Well. And when I got in there, my, my granddaughter was in the back room looking at this polished rocks. And I looked around, and I went into another room, and it was all these bins full of pult whatever, the poultice mm -hmm. things that they mix the, these potions oh, for, for spells. Yeah. And the classroom was there oh teaching gosh. the classroom. The spells. Then I went in the front, and on this podium was this beautifully ornamented leather spell book carved in all these things how to do this witchcraft in this thing and trains up witches. And it's right down in the Well, you'd never know it from the outside. No. That's what I mean by subtle. Yeah. Very seductive. Well, Again, they want to clean it up so that it's presentable to our advanced culture is what it is. But they did the same thing with abortion. Yeah. It's a choice, not a life. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, if you... If, aliens. Well, <laughs> down on Burnett Avenue at the abortion clinic, yeah. when you stand there outside, it looks like a perfectly innocent place. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, you would never know what takes place within those walls down there. And we knew it because we used to go down there every Friday and stand there and pick at the plate. Oh, I pick it all over down And that's the same street that Blessed Assurance was written on. Right. Well, here's the thing. It's all witchcraft. It's all still witchcraft. It's just clean. We've just cleaned it up. Did anybody find Palmyra? Yeah, Syria. It's in Syria. And they have the Temple of Baal there. They have a Temple of Baal in there. Well, here we go now. We, it's like an investigative reporter here. <laughs> yes. Pastor, I feel very strong urge to say, do not be afraid of this stuff. No. This stuff. Amen. We are. We, we, what he is in us is stronger than any of this. Amen. We win. And I know a lot about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Not be feared. No, I don't fear. Yeah, yeah. Amen. 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 But there will be a temptation to fear this. We need to resist that. Yep. Amen. Because greater is He that's in me. Amen. I think it's good to know so that we can tell our young people because they're the ones that are impressed by this. And if we don't. You know, it's good for us to know these things 
you know, so that we can pass it on to the, you know, the, our younger generation because they, a lot of times, don't know that and they see something and they're in awe of, like, you know, mm -hmm. and they're drawn into this. So. Yeah. Well, drugs, mm -hmm. it's all witchcraft. Everything's witchcraft. There's nothing new under the sun except we got a dressed up version of it, is what it is. It's, that's right. That's right. One of the words used to describe witchcraft is pharmacia, from which we get the yeah. word pharmacy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. I believe God gives people the knowledge to invent medicines and things like that. But at the same time, and I got to be careful what I say here, but there's more prescription junkies than there are illegal junkies. Particularly today. So again, you've cleaned something up to make it presentable, but it's just as addicting as anything else. So you got to be real careful, you know. I mean, you just got to be, uh, any of you that go to, well, Lee's a doctor, and some, we got nurses in here, Chris and Rosalie. Who else was a nurse? Linda. Linda. Anybody else? You know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of funny stuff that goes around, you know, when you're in there. You're a nurse, too? No, I want to say something. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Okay. Uh, I, I remember about, uh, I think, two, three years ago, I went to the family doctor, and uh, you were talking about the prescriptions and medicine, so related yeah. to that, uh, he, uh, uh, I said, I, I feel tired all the time. It was related to uh, when, uh, still I do a lot of work uh, uh, at night here, and day there, I'm connected to, with missionary teams, and uh, uh, the, the teams on the field, and I teach and preach uh, from out of my office uh, at home. And uh, he said, uh, well, he prescribed me a, a, a tablet. Well, I said, maybe it, it is just, uh, it is, I, don't, I never tried anything before. So I got it from the pharmacy, and I took it, and uh, it, it, it uh, drove me crazy. <laughs> You know, yeah, it's, it's like a, I, I'm like a, I'm like a numb or I don't know. I it was like a dizzy something like that. Yeah. And, and he said you have to take it every day. You know. <laughs> well, I, three three four days I took it and I, I had a bad experience. I said I, I feel like I'm dead or something. I, I'm, not, I'm not like a, a, a person like before. You know. And God spoke to me. God God rebuked me. I, he said, uh, I mean, you, you, now you are going to uh, rely on uh, medicines, yeah. you know, and, and uh, on this, uh, you know, what about the, uh, what about me, your faith, all that, you know. I uh, grabbed that medicine and threw out of the window. <laughs> I said, I don't need this anymore. And I, I don't, I don't want to be slave to the medicine or this and that, you know. And uh, next time I went to the doctor, he said, what about the, how's the progress? I said, don't write me any medicine anymore, okay? <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I don't want it, you know? Look, yeah. here's, here's the thing. Yeah. Um, you know, thank God for doctors. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I mean, mm -hmm. there's many people in this room. We, but I think everything God created and gave man knowledge to create is good. That's what the scripture says. I think there's a purpose for things. Mm -hmm. But when man enters into the equation and abuses things, you know, yes. the problem is not 
it's like wanting to take guns away. The problem is not the gun. The problem is the guy behind the gun. Because, you know, I can give a gun to Harold and he wouldn't shoot nobody. I don't think. But then you could have a Taliban sitting next to him and he'd say, thank you very much for this gun. Boom, 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 you know. But it's, it's the person behind it. It's the mindset. There's evil behind it, evil intent. Okay? I think medicine helps people, you know. But the abuse comes from the heart of man. It doesn't come from that thing itself. If that was the case, the gun would take over and everybody would shoot everybody. But it's not the case. It takes imbalanced people to do imbalanced things. And that's usually involved in witchcraft and everything else. Okay? All right. Wow. Who wants to stay till midnight tonight? Nobody. Verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain or empty words. For because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. God's wrath will come. Uh, you know how many false preachers that there have been over the years and people that twist the gospel for their own benefit and stuff like that. What did Jesus say when he said, you'll hear about go over here, it's over there, but don't go because you got to trust in the word that I'm giving. There'll be many false Christ. You know, there's people in the earth today. And I saw this one guy, he called himself Jesus Christ. And he got people that worship him and stuff like that. And they, they lead a lot of people astray. How many of you remember the Jim Jones thing? I mean, 900 people drank Kool-Aid. But think how bad that was. That's nothing but witchcraft and evil. It's evil. Manipulation. Yeah, total manipulation. Manipulation is witchcraft. Exactly. And, and um, there's, it, it even turned itself into a saying nowadays that we use about people about, oh, they've been drinking too much Kool-Aid or something like that. <laughs> we don't mean it in that way, but that's exactly what happened to them. That Kool-Aid that was poison in it became a symbol of believing in the wrong things. Amen. And they were tricked by vain words that came out of his mouth. He was an antichrist spirit. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Matthew, uh, uh, Jesus, the disciples asked Jesus, and they said, what tell us, he said, when, when you come at the end of the day, what's going what's gonna to be the... The, the worst thing, and, he's, the, and he said, verse 4, he said, Take heed that no man deceive you. That's the first thing that Jesus said about the end days. Amen. Deceivers. Deceivers, Amen. yeah. Amen. Yeah. Well, I've said before, even in our church, don't worship the worship. See, when man, man will always worship something. And that's where idolatry comes in. Do you know the most well-intentioned people, we don't worship the worship. We don't worship. We worship the one that causes us to worship. Amen. See, that's where you got to separate things. you got to keep things on, on an even keel. Some, some people worship their church. It's good to love your church, but you can't worship. Who's behind all this? It's Him. It's Christ. He's behind everything. And when we separate Him from what we're doing, then it's no longer Christianity. It's some weird form of some type of pagan government or something is what it is. You can't... It, 
See, a story loses its power. This loses its power without the story behind it. And so people think that they can worship anything nowadays, and you can't. There's only one God. He said, I'll have no other gods before me. And so, you know, you can have the biggest church in the world, but if Jesus Christ isn't Lord and preeminent in what's going on there, then you're you got something going on, but I don't know what it is that's going on. And so we have to be careful of all that stuff. Um, you know why they built statues and things? Because they were impressive. They had this, the ancient seven wonders of the world. They were all impressive, but they were dedicated to some false. See, people look at size and they look at this and they think it must be God. When we first moved to Mexico, um, back in, well, when I first started going in the 80s, you know what they would do when we would build a small church? They'd make fun of it. The religious people would make fun of it. And the reason that they would do that is, is because we would get like a church like ours that wanted to build a building. And we, uh, Paulus knows it from Pakistan. You might get a lot that's 30 by 60. You get a bunch of guys, volunteers and girls, and you go out there and you lay block and you build a church. And then you wait because you don't have the money for stucco or to put a roof on, so you put a tent alone over the top of it and you have church in there and the dogs are laying around and everything else. And, and the religious people will come to you and they'll say, well, you got a really small God. And that started happening to us down there because they could point to their cathedrals and their gold and their silver on the altar, and that was God to them. That's why, um, and I was raised Catholic. I got no beef for the Catholic Church. But if you look around the world, they would incorporate some of the customs of the people into Catholicism. And they, they could teach that bigger is always better. And that's what the Muslims do. It's just a different way of doing it. Bigger is better because you got this crummy little building there with no tile on the floor and everything else. And so that's witchcraft again because... People equate bigness with God. And it's not that way. If it was, he wouldn't have humbled himself and came to the cross and made a sacrifice for everybody. He thought it not robbery to leave what he had. Right. Heaven's the prettiest place you can go, I would say. Amen. And he, he, he humbled himself even to the cross. Yes, and so we live in an age today where big is interpreted as it must be God. But don't be fooled. Right. Hey, don't be fooled. Mm -hmm. He had 12 disciples. Yep. And one of them was no good. <laughs> so, I mean, God wants things to grow because there's growth with God. But, you know, witchcraft will point to everything that's shiny and sparkly. That's why they make all these movies like they make them and everything. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, get your attention. Yes, Rickster. Also, with nothing's free in witchcraft. What's that? Nothing's free. That's true. So you're not. If you get anything out of it, it's going to cost you. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Because nothing's free. Wow. Whatever you do, get into it. You're always going to get three times back destruction. So if I cast a spell on you, you suffer but I suffer three times more. So just to make somebody else suffer, I got to suffer three times more. 
Because the evil has to come through you. Well, on the, on the adverse or reverse side, we are conduits of the Holy Spirit, talking about that flow of the Holy Spirit. So I know you were involved in some things. We all, some of us. So the evil, you were the speaker and you were the cursor. So that evil had to come through you just as the Holy Spirit has to come through us through preaching and sharing of the word. Well, it's the law. You reap what you sow. Yeah. So, and, and what's funny is in, in witchcraft, they, they know this. They know this, that, you know, whatever they put upon somebody else, they're going to re receive worse. That's just part of the game. But they will suffer to make you suffer. Okay. <laughs> wow. Well, we didn't even get down to the controversial stuff tonight. Uh, <laughs> thank God. I, I wasn't ready to dig into that tonight. Yeah, we're, going, we're good there. You know, uh, that's, all, that's all the Second World War was about, was just witchcraft and evil Amen. and things like that. Bail. Bail. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Okay, well, we better stop. It's... Uh, um, Time. We'll go back to Ephesians 5 next week. Bear with me. I, I enjoy these discussions because another reason we do this is because some people never get to speak. And they got a forum to ask questions and speak in here. Okay. All right. Um, prayer Friday night at 6. Church on Sunday. Men's breakfast, 9 o'clock at Steve's house. Anything else going on? Remember, Paulus will be back with us on January 5th, and he'll be sharing about his December trip to Pakistan. If the Lord were laying on anybody's heart to go with him, uh, I'm sure he'd take you. No volunteers yet, huh? <laughs> Jeff? Jeff would go. I know Jeff would go. Well, thank you guys for being faithful to this Bible study, whether it's me or whether it's Jeremy or whoever it is, that's not what's important. What's important is the Word of God. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved. So you won't be ashamed, you know. And when somebody, when, when you stand up in front of somebody, they can ask some penetrating questions, you know. So I don't always get it right, but I realize the responsibility of what we're doing here. So, you know, I don't want to be ashamed of the things that I tell you. I want to... And this is where we go for that. We didn't even have to go to a simpler version. Amen. The Lord bless and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.